You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Corporate Quitter. I'm your host, Gabby Ainello, and today's guest is Crean Padiachi. He's a teacher, public relations executive, and crypto podcaster. He helps people learn about crypto in easy, digestible segments through his podcasts and YouTube videos. His mission is to bring more people into the world of financial stability through cryptocurrency. And I know this is all the rage right now, crypto and just the blockchain. So I'm so grateful that you can come on to kind of share your nuggets of gold and how people can kind of change their life by investing in it. So thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm glad to be here. I'm glad to be able to share these nuggets because it really has changed my life. Yeah. So can you get into that? Like, you know, what's your story? How did you get into crypto? Like, I know it changed your life dramatically. And so I hear it all the time from people. But what happened specifically to you? Well, I had always been aware of crypto back in the day. I grew up with a very cool older brother who was into technology. And uh, we were just talking before the show, you know, like I don't have a laptop because I built my own computer, put everything inside and turned it on and said, yes, you work. Thank God. And from that, I've always had this love of technology. So when I used to live in the States in Massachusetts, you know, and Bitcoin was a thing there and people were paying for dominoes with Bitcoin and stuff. And later on, regretting it 20 years later, that's the time I was like, okay, this is cool. I never really got into it. Roughly about 2015, 2016, I was living in Taiwan already. And I was like, oh, okay, here's this thing called Ethereum. And we'll probably talk about that later this is cool and this is doable. And, you know, I got into it with my best friend here in Taiwan. We said, hey, let's build a computer. Let's use this to mine this, you know, magic internet money. And let's see how it goes. You know, it's, it's going to set us back roughly about 900 US dollars. And, you know, electricity is fairly cheap in Taiwan as well. So let's do it. And we did it. And I'm like, oh, wow. And then crypto really took off in 2020. And the price went up. And I'm like, hey, man, we have this crypto. Let's sell it and make a second machine. And then I told my wife, I would say, hey, we have this money, let's invest into crypto. And we did, and we did Bitcoin and a whole bunch of other stuff. And lo and behold, I'm here today. So cool how, I know your background, you were in teaching and you also traveled all over the world. So you did things that are completely not related to crypto, not related to technology. And yet here you are kind of in that space, which is so cool. Yes, it's very cool. And I never expected to get into this space. I guess nobody does, right? Like to come around like with a full circle, but it is. And I'm glad I'm here. And and I'm very glad that my older brother who got me into technology and stuff gave me this opportunity. Incidentally, he's not even into crypto that much, but because of him, I am. So how did you find financial stability through crypto. When we were originally speaking, you were saying how, you know, you were kind of going the traditional route, if you will, with investing of just like stocks and kind of viewing the market from that perspective. So how did you actually get into, you know, changing your whole portfolio through crypto? That's a great question, you know, because I <laughs> I think a lot of people like you're growing up, you know, and millennials and stuff, you're like, wow, you know, I'm 20, I'm 30, I'm some, whatever the age you are. And your parents are like, yeah, you need to start saving when you're young. And of course, I didn't do that. You know, I came to town and I'm like, yes, I'm in a new country. You know, I have an excuse. I should, you know, have fun and eat good food and go places and do things. And past 30, I'm like, oh my God, I'm over 30. I really need to start saving. And I started saving late and how crypto helped me achieve financial stability is just sort of getting into the ecosystem. I mean, buying certain coins, investing in projects, and then seeing the returns compared to the traditional stock market where 
investing in, in Tesla, investing in Microsoft and getting a little bit of a dividend and stuff. And coming from somebody who didn't start off with a lot of money, investing in stocks is very, very hard. But with crypto, I mean, you can buy, lots of people have seen Dogecoin in the States or Shiba Inu or, or meme coins and stuff. And those sort of peaked probably about four months ago. And, and I remember reading a story about a lady from Arkansas. She spent like $5,000 and she bought Shiba Inu because she's like, it looks cute. And lo and behold, her $5,000 at Shiba Inu turned into a million US dollars. And, you know, she's, she's, she's set. She doesn't need to do anything else anymore. And, and I think this is the dream for me. I've achieved financial stability, but I'm still looking for the one big payoff that everybody looks for and just say, okay, I'm done. Now I get to passion podcast every day of my life. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal for everyone to just wake up every single day and just do what you actually love versus like being an obligation with the job or whatever it is that you need to do. So like, what's your perspective on diversifying your portfolio? Because at least for a lot of people who even think about Bitcoin or any of these, you know, just cryptocurrency in general, it seems a little risky, right? You look at it as almost like, oh, it's a scam, right? It's not tangible, real asset. It's all online. Like, you know, and also it's new. It's not like stocks and bonds, which have been around for like decades, if not centuries. So, you know, what's your perspective on that? I would say depends on the kind of person that you are. So if you're starting off with a little bit of money, like I still have friends here and the wages and salaries here are quite less than they are in the States. If you're working day to day or you're earning an hourly, you're getting paid per week or per month and you're making minimum wage, I mean, I was making $8.50 back 20 years ago in Massachusetts as minimum wage. And this kind of person, if you've got 20, 30 bucks, that's the beauty of crypto. If you haven't started investing, I would say go into crypto, put a little bit of money as you can. If you're somebody who's already in their 30s, maybe later, you've got some stocks. I would say if you're putting 40% of your extra money into investing it or saving it or whatever, I would say have that put half into crypto, still keep your traditional investing. You know, that's not a bad thing at all. That's how I would classify it as, as in depending on the situation that you come from. Yeah. I've heard that not putting all your eggs in one basket is probably the best thing that you could do. <laughs> but, you know, it's it's such a lucrative thing because it is so new that a lot of people are hesitant or they just don't even understand it. Yes, exactly. And going back to your point about Bitcoin and being volatile and stuff, and it, it is definitely something you have to take into account. And if you look on Reddit, you look in a bunch of places, people always tell you, do not put all your money into crypto. You'll, you'll see stories. I've read stories of guys taking out loans and second mortgages and stuff and going all in on Bitcoin or something. And then people do make it. Some people don't. Don't want to be the people who don't make it. There are safer options as well when it comes to Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies, like not having to sort of buy it all yourself. You can do it through an intermediary, but we can talk about that later. Yeah. I mean, can you get into what even is cryptocurrency and the blockchain and even how to get started in it? Sure, sure. I'd love to. Um, so what cryptocurrency is, is everybody in the house has a router or, or Wi-Fi, right? And that Wi-Fi connects your cell phone, connects your computer, connects your husband or boyfriend or friends or grandmother, grandmother. So when people come to your house, you have nine or 10 people. They're on what's your, your home network. So a cryptocurrency is a global network. If you can think of it as a, like a massive amount of Wi-Fi that's connecting everybody, but it's not Wi-Fi. It's, it's just the regular internet. The sort of core principle or one of the core principles of cryptocurrency is decentralization. So I use an example or people always use this example in crypto is that when you put your money in Bank of America, if somebody goes in and burns down Bank of America branch, you know, you know, knocking wood, that never happens to anybody. Of course, that's terrible. 
your money, right, or your records, your information, if you had a loan or mortgage, that stuff would probably be digitally backed up, but you'd have to wait or there'd be some sort of recovery process. But with the idea of cryptocurrency is that if there are 11,000 people running cryptocurrency like networks, they each have a copy of the record of everything. So if one person goes down, Gabby's record is still here on 10,999 people's computers. That's pretty much what the blockchain is. To get into crypto as well, if you're in the States, the best option is Coinbase. And I think everyone's heard about them. The guy's name is, his last name is Armstrong, really proliferant on Twitter and stuff. Basically, you go there, you open up an account, and you put your money inside, and you can use that money to buy crypto. Coinbase, really, really reliable, really, really safe. That's pretty much it. But when you put it in, you have to pass what's called KYC, which is know your customer. So you have to usually provide these different levels, like you provide... The first level is usually like your ID, your state ID, and you provide an address, and there's another level. And all these levels basically sort of differ in the sense of how much you can spend and how much you can withdraw. It's pretty easy to get into crypto these days. You can even do it through some investment banks as well in the States. Yeah, I'm starting to notice you can do certain things. Like I think in PayPal, you might be able to. There are a couple other like institutions that are starting to get, hey, you can also use your crypto to pay for your cell phone bill or whatever it is, which is pretty cool. So things are definitely changing and the bigger institutions are like realizing that it's here to stay. But I'm wondering when you talk about the blockchain, just right, you know, your great example of like your physical Bank of America or Chase or whatever it is, you know, banking institution that you physically go to right? That can physically burn down or something can happen. But then I keep seeing like hackers, right? The rise of, you know, cybersecurity hacks and problems like just in the cloud, even for larger institutions who like have the manpower to actually run these things. So how is it that the blockchain and crypto is actually safer than going with the traditional banking route from that perspective, like the safety perspective? So from the safety perspective, I have to be honest as well, like I did this on my podcast and I talked about it maybe last week or so, that in 2020, one point something, $1.2 billion was hacked or stolen from the blockchain. So, wow. yeah, it's just a regular problem. But in the sense of a bank where you can have somebody go in and rob the bank, of course, crypto is decentralized. Nobody can rob it, but people can hack. But that just makes security better. We have a quantitative analysis at uh, the company that I work for, and he was like, you know, this is just the beginning for crypto. It's each hack that happens, people learn, like, say, hey, this is how we can be safer. This is how we can be better. In the sense that, like, even if somebody stole, you know, your grandmother's money, there's a record that says Gabby's grandmother had X amount of Bitcoin, X amount of ADA, X amount of this currency. Everybody knows it. And pretty much the last six months of hacks, the coins or the protocols or the funds have said, okay, I'm sorry your money was stolen. Here's your money back. They replenish it from their own funds. There are even projects and funds that say, okay, if your money is stolen, we're insured. Um, one of the people that I keep some funds in, uh, they're called Nexo. They're in the States as well. They're insured up to 300 million US dollars. So if my money is stolen, they say, yeah, we'll replace it within a week. There is safety there, but there, there are also risks as well. It almost seems like the Amazon level of customer service, honestly, because I feel like when we go through banks, it is such a fucking headache to deal with banks. Like ever have an issue, ever see a weird charge in your credit card, trying to get fees. But it's like you're jumping through hurdles for fucking nothing. Like it's so annoying. Oh God, I remember that so badly. It's calling and press one for this, press five for this. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Can't do it. 
So crypto is a lot like when you go through Coinbase or that other program that you mentioned, it's a lot easier if, if a problem or something happens or you need customer service for whatever reason. Yeah, no, it's very much, it's definitely easy. It's all online. There are people though, like, like people have had issues, of course, and you'll see lots of people having issues with Coinbase when particularly uh, things are very hot, like when Bitcoin's crashing or going up really fast and people like buying, buying, buying. Uh, sometimes people have issues with Coinbase and you'll see a lot of that on Twitter, uh, Reddit, social media and stuff. They're just not ready for this influx of traffic. So again, this is more of a technological problem that these places are sort of like building up to and getting used to as sort of people get used to and get into crypto, they're like, okay, we need to expand. We need to increase our capacity. Yeah. So how can we avoid, other than the hacking, which kind of is out of our hands, how can we avoid scams when it comes to trading or even investing in newer coins, right? Because when Dogecoin first started, everyone was like, no, like it's BS, it's not anything, right? It's just another coin. And then it ended up being something, but I'm sure there's a ton of coins, meme coins, NFTs, anything like that in the digital space that is complete BS, right? It doesn't, it maybe doesn't exist or it's not going to return what you think it will. No, no, no. There are a ton. Probably the one that made the news in the last month that a lot of people saw was the Squid Game token, you know, from Squid Game from Netflix. And that was a hugely popular TV show and someone made a, a meme coin and lots of people bought it. And when people bought it, they turned off the function to sell and the, the creator just took the money and ran and, and then nobody knows where it is. So what it is basically, when you want to invest in a coin or a meme coin, you definitely, and again, nothing I'm saying is financial advice, you would definitely want to research, look at their Twitter, look at their socials, look at the website, uh, see that everything checks out. One of the best ways is to check who is the team, right? Usually people say, okay, this is Tom, this is James, this is Janet, and you'll see them and sometimes be LinkedIn profiles. And as you're checking all of this stuff, your confidence level should build up like 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60, 70%. And just basically do it like you'd vet somebody else that would like popped into your life and say, hey, Korean, do you want to buy timeshares in Indiana? And I'm like, sure, <laughs> why not? But first, let me check you out. But yeah, no, no, just check social media. That is definitely a good way to go. And not just like a five, 10 minute check. You usually want to spend 20, 30 minutes doing your research. And then if you're sure, put a little bit of money in, wait a week, wait two weeks, put some more money in if it checks out and, and then go from there. Yeah, I didn't even think about doing that in the research part of it, which makes sense, but also... You know, when you think about it, if it's early, sometimes there's like not a lot of media on it, right? There's not a lot, but at least in this perspective, right? You can go through a LinkedIn or something to try to find people who are quote unquote functioning within the company, even though it is a coin. Exactly. Such a smart idea. I mean, it's such a simple idea, but again, I'm not, for people who are new to this, you don't think about it. I didn't think about it. Oh no, no, definitely. I agree. It's, it's good that you brought it up. Yeah. Yeah, because usually when you see the thing pop and you're just like, oh my God, got to do it. Run to my Robinhood account. Like, let me do the thing. And then you have no idea what it is I just bought. But I bought it. I mean, a lot of people do that. Not the best strategy. Don't take my advice, guys. <laughs> Don't do anything that I do. So now that we're, up, we're on the topic of just scams and being safe and all that stuff, right? Doing your research. I know you had mentioned when we were first speaking kind of about a crypto key or like this little USB thing to kind of protect your assets. So what is that? Okay, so it's this thing over here. I bought one, apparently you need two. So when I bought this, the company is like, no, you need two. So basically what it is, is a, a third level of security. So a lot of people have heard about 2FA, two-factor authentication. So when you sign into an account, 
like your Amazon account, right? Even in Taiwan, right? We do Amazon. And then when I sign in, Amazon sends me a text message to my phone, says, here's these six numbers, please key it in. And then you're safe, right? Or, or technically safe. This was on Bloomberg and a bunch of places in the States last month in December. They say hackers are getting even smarter with 2FA so they can even intercept your six-digit code before it gets to your cell phone and say, okay, my name is Janet Smith and... The real genesis was like, oh my God, someone hijacked my account and bought $5,000 of Barbie dolls and sent it to somewhere. <laughs> so basically what this is, is a key. You can buy it. I mentioned to Gabby before for her listeners that you can get a Google Titan key, which is readily available in the States. It works for your Gmail. It works for a lot of places that you do stuff. Uh, you plug it into USB. And when you sign in, your Gmail or your crypto account or your stock investment account will say, okay, this key is plugged in. Now I can log in basically means the only way somebody can get into your account is basically stealing this key and knowing your cell phone and knowing your email account and knowing your actual password. So it's it's definitely a safe way and I feel much safer trading crypto having this key. But it is a big of a bother because I used to be able to trade crypto on my phone. I cannot now because this only works on my desktop. So whenever I want to trade crypto or do anything crypto related, I have to plug this in and sit down in front of my computer, which is a hassle, but safety first. Why do you need two of them? Like, why was it recommended two versus one? It's a great question because I literally ordered this and I got one and then it says in the package, make sure you have two because, I mean, this is a physical device and you can see sort of one side over there. So if this gets scratched up or messed up, right, you literally cannot log into your account. So when I bought this, and then I was like, yeah, you need to. I ordered a second one, waited another few days. And one I keep on my person and one I gave to my wife as well. So if anything were to happen to me, right? Because that's a very big thing with crypto and something uh, listeners need to take account of is that if something happens to you, right? It's, it's not like stocks or stuff that are easily accessible, right? If you pass away or something like that, it's very hard to pass on your crypto unless you have like a key or unless you give your passwords and stuff to somebody. So, so this is definitely something that makes it easier. So if something did happen to me, if Bitcoin dropped by like $50,000, it's like, oh my God, buy some Bitcoin right now. My wife could log into the computer if I wasn't at home and she'd be able to buy Bitcoin. Are there any downsides to the key? Because I, I hear that it's safe and I like that it's safe, right? It's another layer of security. But what if you lose it? What if both you and your wife, like you have a fire and your house burns down and the key is melted? Can you even get into your account then? Like, or is it done? That's a great question as well. So because this is attached to my account, so I, I don't trade on Coinbase. We do have Coinbase in Taiwan, but they have less service because of laws and regulations here. So I trade on Binance, which is the biggest exchange in the world. And so if something happened to my wife's key and something happened to my key, what would happen is I would basically have to call Binance's support and say, hey, my crypto key is gone. They would go through a verification step to check my ID. What's your ID number? What's at your address? This would not be a quick process. So I'd probably lose, I've heard it's anywhere from a week to a month of time where I would literally not have access to my account because Binance is so big and they have a huge backlog and not a lot of customer service agents. So yeah, that is definitely something to take into account to balance safety and convenience. And maybe you're somebody who travels a lot. And if you do lose things, that would be bad. Yeah, you almost need to add like an Apple tag to it or maybe like sew it into your skin. <laughs> like <something>. Yes. <laughs> Very yeah, good advice. That's funny. Yeah, right. I, um, I do like the idea of the key though. But yeah, it, for people who lose things easily, maybe not the best thing. <laughs> TBD. But 
you know, now that we're talking about crypto and all this stuff, obviously NFTs fall into that. So what are NFTs? So NFTs stands for, excuse people for this really complicated word, non-fungible token. So basically what that means is that it's tradable, but it's not tradable in a monetary sense. So basically what NFTs are is, um, if you think on the blockchain, and there are lots of blockchains, right? Everybody knows Bitcoin. The biggest NFT blockchain is Ethereum. The second biggest is probably Solana. But there are tons of them. A lot of people have heard about NBA Top Shots as well. NBA Top Shots is, is a blockchain NFT stuff. What it is, is if you think about it, just like an arrow on the blockchain that says, Gabby owns this picture of the Statue of Liberty. And she is the one who owns it. She's the only person who owns it. She's the only person entitled to trade it for some kind of monetary value. That's all an NFT is. It's an arrow. So, I mean, what do NFTs even do? Is it just that people are trading it for to make money? Is it fun? And then you also talk about things like the metaverse. Is it like you're buying kind of, you know, how you would in The Sims, like buy a house and buy decor? Are you buying an NFT to put in your fake metaverse house? On Where is the connection between NFT and metaverse? So, I mean, this is like a huge question. People are buying NFTs for multiple reasons. So my personal reason is I'm a big art person. I can't paint or can't draw, but I love art. I, I love going to museums. I love checking out art. And I'm renting this place that I'm living right now, so I can't like literally put nails on the wall and stick hang art up and stuff. So this is something I bought two cheap NFTs, and I mean cheap. I think I paid 100 US dollars for one and 50 dollars for another. My coworker, on the other hand, he's spent a good 100,000 US dollars in NFTs. Wow. Yes, and and he's got some very popular NFTs. So. To the question, right, I got to keep this short. People buy NFTs because they like art, like myself. People buy NFTs to trade because if you get in early on an NFT project, it might be for one Ethereum or one ETH. And the price for one is like $3,800 right now. And you get in early and you get it at that one Ethereum and immediately the price shoots up to three, four, five Ethereum. And people trade and they make money like, okay, now I've got five Ethereum for the one Ethereum I spent. They reinvest it and make more money. People stake NFTs. Uh, what staking means is that they will give it to an organization. And from that NFT, they earned yield. My brother's coworker from Australia, he gets 500 US dollars a day from staking his NFTs. So it's just like earning interest at a bank. People use NFTs as a, like a collectible sort of stuff. Like in the gaming front, this has been all over the news as well. In Western countries, lots of big gaming companies, uh, Square Enix, have said like, we want to put NFTs in our games. Gamers, of course, are like, no, no, this is terrible. You're going to make us pay for stuff we don't want to pay for. So lots of people have been angry about that. NFTs are a way for you to join a particular community. There was the Constitution DAO. It was for sale in Christie's in New York. They were selling a copy of the U.S. Constitution. A bunch of people, American people, got together and put money together, like, we're going to buy this copy of the U.S. Constitution and put it in a museum for everybody to access. And the way that you join this organization was via NFTs as well. You invest in an NFT, and then you're part of this organization. So NFTs have tons of functionality. I just, it's, I'm still trying to wrap my head around it because it is digital, right? It's not like everyone says there's one copy, but in theory, right, I could take a screenshot and have the same copy. And even though it won't have the same physical or I should say monetary value, it's almost like it's a screenshot, right? To me, it still exists. Exactly. It's like the guy that was on Jimmy Kimmel, was on the Late 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 Show, people, he sold his NFT for $69 million. You can go to Christie's right now and take a picture of his NFT and you can keep it if you like it, but... 
you're not going to be earning $69 million. And that's, <laughs> that's true. <laughs> that's all you're going to get. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard with NFTs too. I mean, I guess it's similar with the blockchain or in just crypto in general is that whenever you purchase whatever unique item, you get like a contract or some sort of actual document or paperwork that signifies almost like if you were to purchase an artifact, right? A physical artifact, like, you know, the Mona Lisa, like you would get a documentation saying this is legit. Is that kind of the same thing with NFTs? Pretty much. So let's say you had an NFT of a cat and you purchased it in your wallet. There would be this transaction and you'd confirm it. And in your wallet history, it would be like a document. And on the blockchain, it would say this cat NFT belongs to this wallet address, right? Because with crypto, there's no names and it would just be a wallet address. And it would show everybody who can see this belongs to you. And that is like your certificate of authenticity, because just like we talked about the idea of decentralization before, right? Even if the organization you bought the NFT from, you know, Cats Anonymous shuts down, right? On the blockchain forever, as long as this blockchain is in existence, the blockchain will always say this NFT belongs to you and that you can still trade that in perpetuity. Interesting. It's cool though. It makes it feel a little bit more legit. So you're not just buying like dust or like little bits in the atmosphere, so to speak, in the digital realm. I'm curious, what do you see as a prediction for, you know, just crypto, blockchain, NFTs, and even the metaverse, right? We're seeing now there are not only the metaverse of Facebook, right, meta, but then there's also other metaverses that people are like purchasing real estate, like digital real estate and all these other things. So what's your opinion on where things are headed? Sure. Um, So going back to the metaverse, because I didn't mention that, is like you mentioned, so the metaverse, there are tons of metaverses in the crypto environment at the moment. The one I get to talk about regularly because they're sort of related to our company is called the Gotchiverse, and it's like these cartoon ghosts and everyone has one, but they've had two land sales. They're seeing lands in like a, a metaverse realm. I think from both land sales, they've cleared north of 300 million US dollars. And they're not a big project. They're not like Mana or Decentraland. And you guys have heard that like Christie's said bought a piece of land in, in this place called Decentraland. And they paid like 20 million US dollars for there. But yeah, to my prediction, I think because of COVID, because of everything that's going on, some people expect and the WH expect that, you know, COVID is going to be going on forever. So the metaverse is going to expand because of that. Because VR is accessible, people can buy an Oculus Quest for like $300 last year during Christmas on Amazon. With that, you can join the metaverse, you can walk around, you can interact with people. A friend of mine did the whole metaverse thing with his two daughters and one daughter in the living room, one daughter in the den, one daughter in the basement, and they did VR experiences together and his kids loved it. So I think the metaverse is, is going to keep going. And there's a big reason Facebook changed their name to Meta besides running away from a lot of scandal. They know the future is there. I mean, besides them buying Oculus and stuff and going the VR route. For crypto itself, it's, it's definitely looking up. You know, a lot of the big news last year was that Bitcoin was going to hit 100K in December. Before the end of the year, it didn't happen. People are saying it's going to be 100K this year. I don't know if that's going to happen or not. But I think a general trend is definitely increased adoption. More people interested. A lot more people at, at various sort of socioeconomic levels saying, okay, Saving money is not working for me. Putting money in my bank account, earning 0.75% interest sucks. I'm going to try and crypto wrote, and, and we talked about this before as well. It's just traditional financial instruments don't work 
for millennials. If you're trying to buy a house, and listeners, I told Gabby as well, I'm, I'm 39. I have not bought a house yet because housing is crazy expensive here. And I've just reached maybe a bit better than financial stability because of crypto. And I think crypto is literally the only way I'll be able to buy a house. Crypto is probably the only way when I was a teacher, my students in their early 20s starting to work now are going to be able to buy a house because a lot of stuff is out of reach for people compared to your parents' generation, my parents' generation. You know, lots of people have seen the stats of, of how the cost of living has risen and wages have not risen in accordance with that. So definitely more adoption. I think price action and stuff is we're going to see price action increase across the board for some coins. And definitely have a look at those. If you go to a, a very famous website called coinmarketcap.com, you'll see the top 10 cryptos. Those are the ones I would suggest for people to sort of research into, do your own research, figure out what is good for you, what do you think is legitimate, what do you think is fake. If it's fake, of course, you don't spend your money there. If you think this has a chance, go for it. Put a little bit of money. And that's the beauty of crypto is on Binance, the minimum buy is 10 US dollars. So as difficult as it is, if you are earning minimum wage and you're not earning a lot of money, yeah, you can save, you can put $10. That's, I don't know if that's still the same. That's like four pints of Ben and Jerry's ice cream from when I used to live in America 20 years ago. So, yeah. Do you think that there are going to be any problems with the fact that everything's become digitalized? Because I always, when I think of, you know, all this stuff, cryptocurrency, NFTs, and even the metaverse, I think of that movie Ready Player One. And it frightens me that we're going to live in a physical world that we don't actually use because everything's digital, right? You don't actually have physical friends or like have even physical connections because everything is digital. Like it's great, but it's also like, it's not the human way, so to speak. I mean, I'm, I'm, oh, I have to, you know, come out and say this. Like, I'm, I'm a big introvert. You know, I, I love sitting at home. But my older brother and my mom are big extroverts. Again, this depends on on politics, depends on global warming and COVID and stuff. I don't think we'll ever get to that stage where everything is purely digital because there are lots of people who like to go out. I mean, I, I as much as I'm in it, I like to see my friends in person. It's cool. It's cr- I'd love to meet you in person one day if I ever went back to the States. <laughs> if I ever go to Taiwan. <laughs> yes. So I don't think we'll ever get there. I think we will definitely make a lot of inroads. Like I think VR adoption or, or metaverse adoption is something sitting around the 15 to 16% margin. Looking just at the States, I haven't seen global stats as well. So I think like we're 2022 in the next eight years, 2030 will definitely go up towards 40% adoption, but we'll never get to like 80, 70 or 80%. Just, there's just too many people, too much of a difference in socioeconomic problems. There's, of course, you need good internet. Uh, you need decent power, you know, renewable energy and that sort of stuff in your house for if everybody was doing the VR thing. So, yeah. Plus also like we need physical things in this world, like grocery stores need to exist, like oil rigs, like electric, we can't be, you know, we, we can't just be a potato sitting in the side of the room, like in the dark doing nothing, like and not eating or so, I mean, that's a benefit of like, or I should say a relief for some people, but it's still, it's a scary thing, especially it's all so new and happening so quickly. Yes, definitely. I think that's definitely the downside of the crypto industry is that a lot of stuff is changing, but we've been really poor at communication saying, hey, mom, dad, aunt, uncle, cousin, you know, things are changing, but actually don't worry, this is going to be good for you or this is going to be good for society and stuff. So hopefully it gets better. Yeah, fingers crossed. <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, I have high hopes for people if even if they just make a cup, you know, killing financially through crypto and everything else they don't involve themselves with, or if they fully involve themselves in the metaverse and everything, 
Either way, hopefully it won't be used for malicious intent, but we'll see. We'll see what happens, I guess. TBD. So this has been really awesome. I know my listeners are going to be really excited about listening about crypto and NFTs and just kind of scraping the surface. So one of the questions that I like to ask every single guest of mine is if you could give advice to your younger self, what would that be? Uh, My advice to my younger self would be, I mean, what I touched on earlier was save money. (laughs) (laughs) Is basically to any younger self or anybody is for my younger self would be save more money. I think that would have helped sort of start my road to financial stability earlier and everything would have happened sooner. But it's it's a road, it's it's a lesson learned and I'm, I don't regret anything at all. I'm, I'm happy where I am, uh, happy being on this podcast and being here and having met you and, and really glad for the things that you are trying to do and helping people as well. Thank you, I appreciate that. Yeah, I wish I saved money earlier, but you know, here we are, can't go back when we can go forward. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> so where can people, you know, connect with you or get in contact or listen to your podcast if they want to learn more about crypto? Sure. So if you want to listen to my podcast, it is uh, Inside Crypto, a very generic name, but it's, it's it's the name that sort of came to me when I was thinking of a name. Um, you'll see the logo that you'll see on the background behind me. It's like a weird A shape. It's an Egyptian A. It's Inside Crypto. You can find me on uh, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, Twitter is Amun Korean. Instagram is just my name, Korean Padiachi. Uh, Facebook, Korean Padiachi as well. Um, I have a Facebook page for the podcast, uh, Inside Crypto. Any of those places, I check it pretty much every day. I never turn off my phone as well, so I get notifications all the time. <laughs> so whenever you guys want to ask questions, if you need advice, um, I can do my best to do that as well. And um, yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. Me too. Thanks for having me very much, Gabby. And, and I really appreciate it. And I wish you the best of luck. Uh, can't wait to see who you have on next and for you to keep inspiring the next generation. Yeah, thank you. Appreciate it. Thanks for listening to the Corporate Quitter podcast. Visit corporatequitter.com for resources, extended content, and additional information about our guests. To connect with us, stay up to date on all things Corporate Quitter, and to learn more about how you can leave the nine to five, follow us on Instagram and TikTok. And if you enjoyed this episode, be sure to leave us a rating or review on Apple Podcasts. Thanks, guys.